Good afternoon, guys. How's everyone doing today? This is AJK Health, Fitness, and Business, and I'm your host, Ali Khan. I'm, I'm the president of the, the Council of Ali's, and today I have a very special guest with me. You know, it's Muhammad Ali, another boxer. That guy's dead. Uh, this is Muhammad Ali, the boxer of the finance world, right? So, who is he? Did I say it? As I said, he's a boxer of the finance world. Hailing from Pakistan, Ali chose to take the road less traveled, leave his country behind to pursue a dream, the American dream, much like me. And he is not an econ, he's not a math. He's an econ and math major from Bard University. And for anyone who studied maths or econ, and I have, doing an econ math double is you know, it's pretty tough, you know? so kudos, Ali. And while he was at Bard, he was also the president of the investment club there. If that wasn't enough, he also studied sustainable engineering and sustainable energy at Oxford University. He's Bloomberg Market Concept certified, Python certified for finance, so he can write code. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, he's also skilled in stock market analysis, financial modeling, data analysis, Excel, VBA. I mean, goddamn. And, you know, most people, when they do all of that stuff, they would think, you would think that they don't have any time to give back. And yet he's here, he's on the podcast to share his insights for the many international students that listen to the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. And anyone else around the world that wants to learn about how they can do juggle multiple things at the same time too. You know, and if that wasn't enough, he's also done fundraising manager for the local hospital, fundraising for a local hospital in Pakistan. And he was even this, he was even on the student life committee at Bard University, ensuring that you know his peers had a good experience while they were at the university. So I'm pleased to have with me the product manager at Morningstar, recent graduate from Bard University, Muhammad Ali. How you doing? Well, thank you for the introduction. Firstly, that was very generous of you and really appreciate it. Just a correction, I'm a product manager, a product specialist at Morningstar. I just started as a below product manager. But thank you so much for having me and I'm happy to share my insights. And yeah, just happy to talk to you about my life and experiences. And I hope you know your audience can learn something from it. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us, Ali. I really appreciate your time. I know you've been very, very busy, you know, upending your life in New York to move to Chicago at a new job, learning new things, and you still made the time to hop on board. Thank you. So uh, right off the bat, Ali, let's, let's talk about Morningstar. It's a multi-billion dollar behemoth in the finance world, right? Um, I have an audience in 20 plus countries, you know, uh, people listen to the podcast all the time, many of whom may not know about what Morningstar is. What is Morningstar? Why did you choose to work here? And what is a product specialist? Because the most well-known role at Morningstar is an equity analyst. Sure. So Morningstar is an investment research company, which basically means it's a third-party uh, company which gives research to you know uh, individual investors, institutional investors, and as you said, it's in, it's, it has a worldwide um, impact. It's in different countries. So, and in my role as a product 
specialist, I am basically troubleshooting uh, clients' issues. So, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting cases every day where they're having some issues and I'm, you know, have resolved them and which can include uh, basic things like reporting, running charts, billing, all sorts of those things. So I'm basically, my audience is advisors, mostly who are independent advisors in the U.S. So, yeah, I mean, that's mainly my role as a product specialist on their office team, which is the um, team I work on. So as a product specialist, do you also have to keep tabs on the capital markets and look at stocks and equities? So that's more, as you mentioned, as equity analyst role. In my role, it's more, mostly based on the technical aspects of the, um, the system. The, of the system, yes. Morning so, stock system, okay. The product I'm working on. So, you know, that means just um, the basic day-to-day tasks I'm looking at. But the equity research is built into it. The product is built into the product, which means that, you know, the um, research or all the, you know, publications and everything are available on the product. So, so when anyone's using it, you know, they can just access it using the product. And our job is to like link them to it. So if they're having trouble accessing it or, or if they want to use a, you know, a specific index, we can give them more information on that. So, you know, our role is mainly the bridge between the equity analyst and the advisors. So it sounds, sounds like what you're describing is more on the IT side. Would that be correct? That's an interesting question because we don't hard code it. So uh, it's hard coded by the IT and software team. We're mostly concerned with the functioning of it, uh, which is like, the, as I said, the day-to-day, you know, troubleshooting, which comes up. And also we work on the back end to, you know, make improvements because the IT team, like they, they've hard coded us it once, that's it, you know, their job is done. And then our job comes in to see that. How are the clients, you know, working on it? How do they like it? Any improvements they want to make? So, you know, there we come in and we, you know, give feedback back to the team and then the team looks at it. Uh, so, you know, our role is basically as the bridge between, it's, it's, it's a little complicated. I mean, it's not that easy to understand. But it's not the, uh, you know, the everyday equity analyst role where you're just looking at the stock market, you're making your analysis, you're giving a rating. It's a little bit more technical uh, in terms of understanding. But I'm part of the MDP program, the development program where you start off in this role. Like every, uh, every person from college who started Morningstar has to do the MDP program. So that allows you to go into different departments after this role. So if I want, I can go to equity, you know, equity, credit, managerial research. So it's really what you uh, make of it. Um, and, but this is the starting point of the MDP program. Uh, that's a that's a very 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 nice description of what you do. I really appreciate that, Ali. To that end, actually, that leads 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 to a number of follow up questions. Right off the bat, what's what does MVP stand for? Because in the startup world, it stands for the minimum viable product. So in Morningstar, what does MVP stand for? It's the Morningstar Development Program. So it's MDP. MDP. And I'm sorry. No, you're good. It's built for new graduates who come straight out of college. It's built for them. So if you're applying to, let's say, a big financial firm, I think most of them have these development programs, some call it professional development programs, some call it rotational program. It's because a lot of college students don't have, you know, specific expertise. Like in college, they won't 
you really, you know, tell you that you want to become, you know, an equity analyst or credit analyst, it'll be more broad-ended finance. So in these development programs, you can really pinpoint, you know, where you fit in best. So that's why these they are built. And the basic role you start off with, with is in the company is where you learn about what they do, you know, they're um, they're functioning and you're doing all the you know basic tasks. So you so you get more familiar with the um, the company and their functioning. And then you mentioned that from the MDT program, you can go on to do whatever you want within Morningstar because it's a massive company. There's different kinds of roles available. Where do where do you see yourself going? Well, that's a good question. So I'm currently more looking towards research roles, which include equity research, credit research, managerial research, you know, any of these roles work for me because I think they're uh, roles where you can grow the most. You know, you learn a lot. And as you said, you follow the capital markets in these roles and the, you know, the expertise you build in these roles can translate into, you know, many other, um, uh, many other jobs. So yeah, research is definitely something I'm interested in. Now, you mentioned that research is what you're interested in. You started off as a product specialist as part of the MDP program. What are the skills that you think are necessary for being on the job at Morningstar for, you know, for people out there? Because I was in that position once when I thought about applying to Morningstar, especially when I heard about you working there. Because, you know, Ali's, come on, we got to work together. Uh, what are the skills that you, you may need or how do you get to that position for, you know, college graduates out there that are looking for jobs uh, and there's still record number, uh, you know, uh, levels of unemployment. What are the skills that you need to work at Morningstar? How do you get recruited? Sure. So I can talk about my experience. So I joined to the internship program. So I interned last summer because of the pandemic. It was only two weeks, but, you know, I still had the chance to intern last summer and that, you know, translated into a job offer. So that'll be my first advice to college students that, you know, get hands-on experience, like getting a job, getting an internship is the pathway to getting a job. So look out there, like in your um, sophomore year, freshman year even, like start looking up for internships and see what you can get. Because you, you as I said, you gotta look for internships like you're looking for a job, like because that's the, you know, most um, safest path to get a job. And, you know, because whenever employers look at you, they want, you know, hands-on experience. But for national students, like it's a little, uh, it's a little tricky because a lot of companies are very of giving us internships, so it's definitely hard. But in that, I will, I'll say that you know, uh, look at companies who can sponsor you in the future and try to intern with them because then you have a better chance of landing a job offer with that company. Because if you intern at a company who's not going to sponsor you, you know, after your internship or in your job, then it's maybe not worth it. Now, but that's, you know, not end all be all because you still get that internship experience and you can use that for another job, you know, which does sponsor. So an internship, you know, can, is the main, you know, source of landing a job. And that's, I would say, what I recommend. And as far as skills are concerned, you said, um, at the job, I think problem solving and being, wanting to learn, being, you know, curious. That's the biggest thing I've seen is like, what you know gets you steps ahead of anyone else it's like showing that you're passionate about the job you just don't want to like do the job because you want to make money i mean that's part of it but you know you want to because you really want you really understand what the company does and you align with their mission i think 
if you show them that and you and you're wanting to learn and you have a mindset where you want to solve you know issues and stuff around you you, you know you think about your thinking person uh they look at all these things and they see, they see someone they can trust and they see someone who can grow um so you want to come off as that kind of a um, a guy when you're applying for um, the job so that's two things right in the first part you talked about the skills that you uh, what you need to do to be able to secure a job especially as an international student which you rightly pointed out is a lot more challenging because companies aren't willing to sponsor you because it also requires money and time and you know all sorts of other things so they don't want to go down that path but internships for anyone that wants to pursue the american dream you know uh, work in the finance industry in particular especially as an international student you may want to look at internships as early on as possible and try to get hands on experience on your resume and then the second thing about the skills i think that's a great point um you know aligning with the values of the company and showing that you have a passion to learn is what differentiates you from everyone else because everyone has the technical knowledge right if you're working at morningstar you probably know what you're doing but being able to differentiate yourself by going that extra mile right exactly. um, like technical knowledge anyone can learn you know like you you know like a script like you read a script you know there's a manual training manual you read it you learn it and but the passion that's something you can't teach anyone you know that comes from within you and that comes from your um you know your wanting to, to get a job you know it comes from inside so let let's say you have an interview so let's say uh, you know you, you have an interview in a few days so some people can you know look at the vault guide for and then just be like oh you know i've done all my basic research i know basic finance that's it but if you like a step further would be to go on youtube to go on you know all these places and look at what the ceo is saying of that company you know what are they talking about what are the issues they're thinking about what is the mission of the company what are they trying to solve because these days every company is trying to solve something you know they're they're in the business of solving issues um so you want to look at what the what they're talking about and also you got to uh have a more i think a broad minded uh approach to an interview which which includes not only the technical things about your personality but also how they fit in with that mission of the job so i think that bridge is really important which a lot of people miss out on they only focus either on you know themselves or what they have done but the that that bridge with what the company is wanting to do how does that connect i feel like that something national students or i mean anyone for for that matter can uh So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Ali. Uh, going back to Morningstar, then, right? You talked about the mission and the values. What are the values of Morningstar, and how do how does your passion or how do your values align with those? What's the problem that Morningstar is trying to solve? That's a two-part question. So they're trying to empower into in investor success. That's their mission, which means that they're focusing on the investor. They're not look. They're not in the business of deals making. um you know fast cash through deals or something they're focusing on the investor they're giving them the power to make a decision through research so if you go on marshall.com there are a bunch of articles and resources for investors who can read and then they can make you know informed choices so they're giving them you know uh, that level of research which is was not accessible for individual investors i mean if you heard of you know, i mean most people know about the meme stock reddit thing you know that's you know that that's fine in the short run but in the long run you need fundamentals uh which matter you know and you need to know about them and how do you you know access them i think that's the first first um, that's the first 
question which comes to mind um so i think monitor does a really good job of bridging you on uh, that gap in you know fundamental knowledge which individual investors don't have so that's the issue we're trying to solve is empowering investors so they have you know all the tools to make an informed choice so how does that align with your values so you know the values i look at you know are you know integrity and trust and why try to build a lot of integrity and trust because they're a third party you know um, research company they don't have any stakes involved and also what they do a really good job is differentiate between pricing and value so those are very so those are two very different things and a lot of investors don't understand that so the stock the price of a stock is not necessarily in the market right now is not necessarily a reflection of the company's fundamentals that's the value of the stock yeah. and monitor does a really good job of giving a fair value to a stock so then you can know what's the difference between the value and the price and and yeah go ahead uh, I really appreciate that. I I think that's a, that's a, that's a great answer because I've been doing I've been investing in the markets for some time as well. One of my first run-ins with the uh, you know stock research was with Morningstar, and what they do a really good job of is exactly, exactly as you mentioned is 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 providing you know not just fundamental data. You can get that from a 10k or a 10q, which are for those listening to the podcast annual reports for companies that they're you know required to uh, provide to the investors. what they do a good job of is not just get you know presenting the data but presenting it in a manner that's easy to understand that's right for said. someone that's starting out you can easily understand what they're trying to say exactly and they make it very user friendly so like they give stocks a star rating which is very easy to understand so if like a five star stock gets undervalued you know compared to the price if it's a three star stock it's mostly fairly valued if it's a one stock stock a one star stock it's and it's highly overvalued so they make it very user friendly i mean anyone who's just looking at you know the research can tell oh this stock is undervalued is you know fairly valued and this is overvalued so you know they make it very user friendly and as you said and you know they 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 take that fundamental um information from a company they run dcfs they they have all their own you know financial um you know functions they run and then they come to a very you know detailed review and also a star rating and But, i think on top of that what they also do is and this what do you think actually let me ask you this how how do you think morning star is different from other research platforms right you could have gone to bloomberg uh, there's there's acon uh, you know uh, moody's multiple other platforms what why should i choose morning star as opposed to those platforms well a for a young i think person coming out of school you need a company which really helps you grow so you got to look at that aspect too of it right because i was going to be part of the mdp program and you know it has a lot of opportunities for growth like like i said you start off at you know my role and then you can go to equity research credit research so i think you got to look at it from that point of view too and whereas morning star it's very diversified in terms of like they're looking at esg they're trying to become the leading voice in esg you know they're looking at uh they acquired pitchbook which looks at um private markets 
So, you know, they're trying to not only look at the mainstream credit and equity, but they're also trying to look at ESG and they're trying to look at things from other views. So, you know, that gives you more room for growth. And in the, you know, coming years, it's, um, everyone's going to be talking about ESG and that's going to be the, you know, the talk of the town. So, and for those listening to this podcast who don't know what ESG is, could you briefly explain what it is before we move on to the next section? Yes, ESG is environmental, social governance, is, which is a, a way to review a company. You, know, you can either look at their income statements or their cash flow statements and see what their equity is like, you know, how what's their net income, or you can look at what how they're impacting the environment, you know, what's their corporate board like, what's their social impact like. So these things are very hard to measure, but um, Morningstar does a really good job of giving ESG trainings to, to these companies. And for the listeners, you know, um, out there wondering about why ESG matters. It, ma- it matters because of the stuff that we see now around us, between the Hurricane Ida and the earthquakes and wildfires that are happening, they're happening because of global warming. ESG is a way for the, the regulatory authorities to give investors insight into the companies that you're investing in, especially if those investors are concerned about global warming and may not want to invest in an ExxonMobil or a British petroleum because of their impact on the environment. But it goes beyond that. If you look at McDonald's uh, ESG report, Ali, yeah, I think you're gonna find that even their carbon emissions are startlingly high, are startlingly high for a company that you would expect you know, in the restaurant industry. Uh, and you couldn't know that as an investor through their traditional financial statements, cash flows, income statement, balance sheet you would have to open up their ESG report. However, that's admittedly difficult, as you said, to calculate and then analyze if you just look at the initial report provided by the company. So breaking that down again in a, in a manner that's easy to understand, a guided overview, especially for someone that's starting out, is something that I think Morningstar does a lot better than their competitors. That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, they want the young people to, you know, do their research and understand because I think they are the people who resonate most with um, these issues. We're talking about ESG issues. Uh, and they want to look at companies who are su- su- sustainable and, you know, who care about the yeah. environment. Now, now, before I take you forward, Ali, and talk about future ambitions and the capital markets and a couple other things. So don't worry, guys, we're going to get to that too. We're going to talk about the stock market and where, you know, the econ math major among us uh, thinks it's going to go, but I want to take you back. Right? I mentioned in the intro that you took the road less traveled. Why leave your home country and the comfort of your family and your friends to go to a different country that you've never been to before and live by yourself, you know, and, and take the path that you have, especially, you know, for those in Pakistan, they know that most people go down the traditional doctor engineer path so who's ali why that's a very loaded question i mean i would just start with saying that um you know you go for better opportunities you see that you know when you want to be in a place where you can learn the most and grow the most and you know in the u.s here it's like what you make of your experience you know if you want you can take easy classes you know you can just chill around have a good time with friends and and whatever and then you know just that's it 
but then also you if you come here with a certain goal that you know you want to be a better version of yourself you want you don't want to make the most of you know the opportunities offered to you so i think that kind of mindset the growth mindset you need because you know i'm here right now but you know in five years i don't want to be here right now. i want to be a better version i want to you know be doing this i want to be doing xyz but not necessarily you need a very concrete plan i think the ambition to do it and then having you know having short goals every day you know like you know in one month i want to be i want to be doing this you know this year this semester i want to get my gpa up this year i want to get into this club so i think having those small goals and just starting off you know like you can sit around and think about a plan or as long as you want but having small goals and then taking action i think that's the first thing that um, gets you close to your dream and where you want to see yourself in five years so that's what all of this i you know did i always like broke up my goals into little parts and it was always like okay i'm going to take the sat and i'm going to do good in that you know then i'm going to try to focus on my common app and then i'm going to research about which school you know i want to go into so you know and then just take it step by step and the pressure of not knowing what you want to do i think is good because um if you know what you're going to do then there's a very set path and then you don't experiment and then you you don't can learn that much so i came here and i was thinking i was going to be an engineer you know like you said doctor engineer that, that that's what i thought too because in pakistan like you know you're taking math and science classes and you know you're over in a level so that's only what you know i mean it's not your fault but that's only what you know and then when you come here you're like okay i want to apply this and like what's the best path where can i get the best job and engineering made sense for me but you know in the first year i was like this is not for me you know even if i do get an engineering degree it's something that i'm not passionate about because it's very um it's not fast moving i want to be you know part of a industry where i can analyze what's happening and then you know try to make make an impact myself you know and i try to like analyze and have my independent views and that's i think why i chose finance and economics because and also i studied math with that to you know have a more quantitative understanding so yeah you know that's um looking for opportunities uh, better opportunities and then seeing where you fit in and then just taking actionable steps like when you come to the us there are a lot of first you know first time you know doing this first time doing that uh, first time doing an internship so being open to that first time taking acting class like i took an acting class and i never would have you know thought i'd take that but you know why not you know just putting yourself out there doing it you know you won't be the best at it but it's fine you know at least you did it so yeah. and you know that's how you learn about new things that's how that's how you learn about what you like and what you don't and that's that, that's a great point right you hit you you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about how growing up in a country like pakistan where most people study math or 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 science and that's about it and that's where they stop it's not their fault but that's also only what you know so whenever i hear about people you know people that become doctors and they say hey I'm a doctor because I love medicine and I'm like dude <laughs> I always cringe when I hear that because maybe that's true right especially if you've tried multiple things and that's how you got to got to that conclusion but for most people they haven't so how do you know what happiness is when you've never experienced sadness if that makes sense yeah. how do you know if you like medicine if you've never tried acting or art or you know economics or anything like that Yeah yeah that's a very good point i think coming to the in i think in the us you know you have that opportunity to explore but that being said you know like not everyone can you know come to the us it's not that easy and you also once you're here like 
people think, oh, you know, once I'm out of Pakistan, once I'm in the U.S., you know, things will start working out for me. But that is the exact opposite. You know, nothing here is just ready for you to take. It's your effort, your passion, your commitment, dedication. Those things will get you to where you want. And if you were doing those things in high school to get to the U.S., you got to, like, multiply that by, I don't know, 10 or 100 to get to where you want to be in the U.S. And because here, you know, it's, it's a different environment and here you're competing with a different set of people. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because in a way, that's what makes it fair, right? It doesn't matter if there's another guy next to you who's, who, especially in, a, in, in, in university settings in a place like New York, you're studying with millionaires and you're studying with people that came on financial aid. I came on financial aid. Um, but it doesn't matter. Yes, that guy may know more people. They may have more connections. Yes, they're American. But especially in a free country like America, and that's why I believe this is the greatest country on earth, it doesn't matter because everyone has 24 hours in a day. That's are studying a, the same thing in the same class. I feel like America is the only country in the world where you can come on like a big financial aid or, and scholarship, study there just like anyone else, and then you know get a job. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not easy getting a job. It's very, very hard. It's very complicated. No one's, you know out there to just be like, hey, you're international, I'll sponsor you, that doesn't happen. You know, most companies are very scared of doing that. But we've seen over and over again that somehow people, you know, in our circle, like Pakistanis or whatever, they've somehow managed to get a job because, you know, they have a different kind of energy in them, a passion in them to you know, get somewhere. And they're not, you know, willing to take the no's thing, which is very important because here you're gonna get a lot of no's, you know. The, when you're applying for jobs and internships, you're going to get like maybe, I remember when I was applying to internships, I got no's from all the internships I applied to except for one. So the way you have to look at it, it doesn't matter how many no's you get. It's just that one yes you're looking for. Just takes one idea, just one opportunity, just, just one, one person to change your life, right? You have to get ready to, to deal with rejection. If you can't deal failure, with rejection, it won't work. Exactly. I mean, don't let your failures like push you forward. Like, with your failures, you stay where you are, but with things that click, you know, and things that you get that yes from, like we talked about, then that'll get you, you know, to step to step one, step two, and then you, know, you keep going further and further and further. So the failures at the end of the day, if you don't take it to your heart, it doesn't really matter because you're at the same level. I mean, if I apply to like, let's say three internships and I get no from all of them, you know, I'm still where I am. You know, it didn't, if, as, as long as I apply to three more, I'm good. And as long as I apply to three or more and then I get the yes, I'm fine. So I think having that mindset that it doesn't matter about the no's, it doesn't matter if I fail. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. Analyze what you're doing wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. You have to analyze what you're doing wrong. Sit, I mean, if you're getting a lot of no's, like sit back, look at things where you can improve on. And that takes a lot of reflective, um, you know, sense of reflection, which not everybody has. But that also you can, you know, work on and develop. I mean, once you reflect, you might not be able to figure out what went wrong, but then do it again, do it again. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a great point. And there's, you touched on multiple skills and qualities that you want to have going forward, right? For success in life or in anything that you do. And I think that's uh, you're exactly in the same wavelength that I am at, that I'm at. And then, you know, that's, that's great to say because you're also, you know, both Ali's. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> exactly. You know, it does mean great, by the way. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's a great point, right? You want to be able to deal with rejection. You want to yeah. have that internal locus of control as they call it that, Hey, it's in my control. What I have to do is keep trying. I have to hustle. I have to work hard. 
So you talked about that hard work, hustle. You talked about you know uh, dealing re- dealing with rejection, but then also working smart, right? When you make a mistake, when it doesn't go your way, st- take a step back, reflect on it. Don't just jump into it and then try to devise a better strategy. So you have to be smart. You have to be resourceful. You have to be creative. And you also mentioned that yes, it's a challenge. Of course it is, because they're competing with so many people. But people do it. It's being done. You did it. I feel like I did it. So there's no reason for why the listener can't do it as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, being the smartest person, I feel like I was never the smartest person. You know, I always had to work really hard. So I had a lot of friends who would just be like, you know, I didn't study for the exam, or I just studied two days, or and I was just looking at them and be like, you know, I've been studying for a week, you know, and I have had to put in so much work. So it's about discipline, I think, at the end of the day. Your discipline, I mean, how you organize your time. I know a lot of smart people, you know, who can do it, you know, in a day and study and do well. But, you know, what discipline does is it's more for the long run because that, that's a skill. Being smart is something you, you, you just are. It's not a skill. But being disciplined and being good at, you know, time management is a skill which you learn and which will help you in college, in your job, and then in your life. So it's very important to be disciplined. And even if you're not like most smart, I mean, I wasn't the most smartest. I still have in math, like I struggled a lot because, you know, there were certain things which I was like, I can never understand. But then you got to like put in that extra effort and sit down and work hard and study and be like, you know, I may not be the smartest, but I can work the hardest. And yeah, which doesn't mean don't take a break, which does, does not mean don't rest. Most people take this as like, oh yeah, there, there's no self-care, there's none of that. I, you know, you can always take out him. I feel like this is my opinion on it. And, you know, I'm happy to hear yours that a human's tendency for self-care and rest is already there. Like you tend to rest, you tend to, you know, do things for your own self-care and, you know, you want to relax and, you know, do all those things. But for working hard, you got to like get out of your comfort zone and you got to like make an active effort towards it. So emphasizing that is more important because you need to be more active in that. Now, whereas if you want to rest and like take a break, I think that's your tendency. Like you're, that's a passive approach. Like you can always fall back on that. So that will never go away. I, and I'm wanting to hear your opinion on that because this is something like I go by, like just by making that active effort of working hard, you don't lose that rest or self-care because as a human, like you will tend to, you know, rest. Your body will tell you when you want to rest and you should rest when it tells you to rest. You know, that's a great point. And it's an idea that I've struggled with in terms of understanding, right, hard work for some time. And yes, that's true. If you get out of your comfort zone, if if you're not getting out of your comfort zone, you're not doing it right. By definition, when you're working hard, you have to push your limits. If you're not failing, if you're not, if you're not striving to be better, then you're not progressing. But you know, for me, I feel like I used to work hard maybe two years ago, three years ago, when I was not going down the, the finance and investment path or entrepreneurship. I hadn't found my found entrepreneurship then. I was I was on the track, I was on the pre-med track. I was studying to become a doctor. And I swear I felt like I worked so hard. I woke up at you know 9 a.m., but it felt like a struggle, like I was waking up at 6 a.m. I only worked, you know, four or five hours doing research, but it felt like 10, and I wasn't very happy. So I felt like I was working too hard. 
But when I took a course in finance, and I realized, you know, and then I took a course in entrepreneurship, which they offered on campus back then, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it so much that I feel, you know, if you look at it, I wake, I wake up to thoughts of entrepreneurship and then I go to sleep to thoughts of entrepreneurship, starting my business. How can I do it? How can I do it better about the stock market, finance, so investment and entrepreneurship. And I feel like I don't work anymore. I don't work hard anymore because I love what I do. Uh, it's, you know, and the way that I put it is, you know, if you like watching movies, right? People love Marvel movies. I get the same kind of pleasure from working on businesses that people get from watching Marvel movies. So how does that work anymore? It is, but it's also kind of not, if that makes sense. And, 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 and what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we spend half our lives working and it feels like hard work, but if you love what you do, you end up working harder, but it doesn't feel like hard work. That's very well said. It's something that doesn't make you tired, you know, because exactly at my work, like, you know, in the job, like, don't get me wrong. Like when you, when you start, it's not easy. Like you do get tired. You do have to work hard. You do do cert- certain things you don't want to like study for CF after you get back from work. Like you, you don't want to do it, but you also got to keep in mind that short term versus long run. I mean, these things are like said a lot, but they're not really understood. So what short term and long run really means to me is that if I work hard right now in the short run, in the long run, I can get dividends out of that. Yeah. And then if I'm working hard now, if I'm working like 10 hours right now, if I make that effort, I'm going to have a relatively better life in five years and I'll be working less. So right now, when I'm young, when you're in school, when you're, you know, you're in charge of your job, like you have that time and space to work really hard and to have a, and in that, when you're working hard, always remember, this is not going to be your life forever. Now, that does not mean you won't be working at all when you're 30 and you'll be a millionaire or a billionaire and you'll be, you'll have a beach house and you'll be just chilling. That is not what it means, but it means that you'll be comfortable. Then maybe you can actually work nine to five and then, you know, be, um, come home and give time to, you know, your whatever you have going, going, going on in your lives and have, you know, time for hobby. And again, you should have time for hobbies and passion now, but that, that, that mindset about the short run and long run is very important that if I work hard in the short run, if, if things are hard for me now, but if I work and if I go against the grain, if I, you know, do what I don't want to right now, in a few years, I'll be doing what I want to. And I'm sure this is true for your case too. And all the people who have this mindset. With anything that you love doing, you know, there's aspects to whatever you do, even if it's, you know, football. You know, imagine Ronaldo with football, right? He loves the sport, but there's stuff that you have to do, yeah. some aspects that you don't enjoy, the grunt exactly. work, right? Exactly. Waking up at 5 a.m. every day, yeah. working out in the gym every day. He wants to play football, but he works out, you know, yeah. eating a very strict diet every day. In my case, you know, filling out the, the, the corporate finance things, filling, uh, doing the legal paperwork every day. Um, uh, equity agreements, you know, giving a part of the equity away to raise funding. In your case, you know, the initial steep learning curve, yeah. that come, that's a part of the package. You have to look at exactly, as you said, the long run. The way Ray Dalio, my mentor in life, he's a billionaire investment manager, maybe, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, the, way he, that he, the way he puts it in his book, Principles, is first, second, and third order consequences. It's, it's also economics. The idea is that the first order consequence is the exact result, the, the, the exact result that you can see of what you're going to do. If you don't work out, you're going to gain weight. 
The second order consequence is the, the middle term consequence. I'm going to feel healthy. I'm going to look good. And the third order consequence is, you know, 50 years down the line, it's going to add another 10 years to my life. Maybe this can stop me from getting cancer or diabetes or something like that. So exactly what you're saying. The issue with most people, and if people could correct this one thing, their lives will change, you know, uh, significantly is shifting focus from that short term to that long term. Yeah. A friend um, who works with me now, and, you know, he said a very good thing that us, like we, as humans, you know, we overestimate ourselves in the short term, but underestimate ourselves in the long run. Exactly. I think that's a very important line which he told me, and you know, he and that made a lot of sense. And when he said it, I was like, that was an aha moment where I was like, exactly, you know, this is what I've been thinking. That in the short term, I'm like, I don't want to be a product specialist. I want to be an equity analyst. You know, I want to be, uh, and I mean, the head of equity research in the tech sector. You know, that's what I want to be. I want to be running all those financial, you know. Um, DCF models and all that stuff. I want to be doing all those things, but you know, we tend because in the short term, I was like, I know everything. Uh, but then I was again underestimating myself, underestimating myself in the long run because now I have put in that effort right now in my MPP program that I'll get there eventually, right? And that's true for everyone. Like, and you know, that takes a lot of. I mean, it's not easy envisioning that. I mean, I remember when I was in college, people used to say all those things. Oh yeah, you'll make it. You'll you know you'll get a good job. You'll you know make a lot of money. You'll be successful. But it's really hard to envision and it's true for everybody but you still have to that that's why they call it a dream or a goal because that's something you know you, it's above yourself it's something you it's not in front of you because if it was something in front of you, you aspire you, toward it exactly you aspire towards it if it was something you could just like literally achieve like you know you like cooking a meal or something like that's you know in front of you but having a goal which you cannot see that's the whole point goals i think understanding that and coming to terms with that that you know if even if i don't see myself because a lot of people have trouble i have trouble in that in in you know in college in high school actually that you know how will i ever you know end up in the u.s because it's something we're just so far you know pakistan just imagining you know another first college in america or whatever you know not easy to envision but it happens and that's the whole point of it so coming to terms with that and understanding that and embracing that that you won't be able to envision it is fine man I, th- I find what works in that instance is small steps. As you said, yeah. you have a long-term, the, the big goal that you want to get to, it's like Mount Everest, right? You want to get to the top, but you're at the bottom. You don't get to Mount Everest in a day. You yeah. take that first step, but yeah. that first step is followed by a second step. Yeah. We're going to follow that at the third step. Yeah. When those steps add up, you get there. You have yeah. to break it down. Really quickly before I move on to the last section, because I know that you're a busy guy, you have to get going. And I'm just really enjoying the conversation. I think this this talk, as I said initially as well, it's filled with gems. And I think this is going to help a lot of people. So I really appreciate it, Ali. Um, Let me ask you this, and then we're going to move on to the last section. Is a year ago when I started the podcast, I had another friend of mine on the podcast uh, who, who, who now works with Goldman Sachs and in investment banking. Shout out to Farhan Sadek. You know him personally. Um, and I, I remember you telling me that you also you know, listened in on that episode. Uh, I asked him a question uh, and I'm going to ask you the same thing. Uh, as an international student slash immigrant in America, you know, now with a job, having graduated from college, what's the biggest challenge that you faced 
and what are your recommendations for other people that want to go down your path? And sh- surely there's going to be people that come after you as well. So what, what's your recommendation for them? What can they do? I said, you know, um, these things might, I've already said it, but like, I'll just like sum it up for them in this question. So to answer the first part of your question, which was what was the biggest challenge for me? That was if you not feeling that I'll be able to make it, you know, feeling, you know, you always have those moments of insecurity where you're like, there's no chance. Like there are 20 jobs out there, two are sponsoring. How in the world am, am, am I going to get it? Um, you know, going in an acting class and being like, you know, feeling insecure that maybe, you know, I'm not up to that level. Maybe I'm not, I don't think like these people think because, you know, we're coming from a different culture. So that culture shock, even though it's not as big or in your face, but it's still there. And it's in your everyday life. You know, when you're sitting in a classroom, there's certain things they're talking about, which you, you don't even have a clue of. So I think get, feeling comfortable with being uncomfortable is the big first lesson, you know, it's all these things are going to be new to you. So I was an RA in college, right? And the first time I applied, I didn't get it. And I was really, you know, I was really hurt about it, but you know, I tried again. So, and, and, and then I got it. So there are going to be a lot of things you're going to be uncomfortable with. There are a lot of new things which you've never experienced, which you've never come across, different culture, everything's new. So your mindset should be, what can I learn out of this? What are the best things I can adopt? That does not mean change yourself, be yourself, but also try to make the most out of this experience by taking in all the good things and then staying true to who you are and your core self, like being true to your core self. So, you know, that would be my uh, first biggest recommendation that is like, you know, be uncomfortable, be comfortable with being uncomfortable as they say. So that's two actually. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And the second would be say, you know, say yes to a lot of things because you're as as an international student who's um, very new to all these things, your first answer would be like, nah, you know, I cannot do this. No, you know, I don't want to do this. Like, uh, we're going to, you know, like there's so many things which I can't even like, you know, think about right now, but there's so many firsts, which I had never even thought of, you know, in Pakistan, we just never do it. And also another thing about international students, which I will mention here, is that we spend a lot of our time in high school studying, taking SATs, prepping for common apps. We really miss out on a lot of things which we want to experience in college. Um, but then what happens is because we're wired in a certain different way in high school, we also want to go into college and still say no to those things, right? But I feel like say yes, like just say yes and do it. Like, yeah, you, like what's the worst? Like always think about like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Like this can happen. But then also think about what's the best that can happen. Because right now you don't know what can happen. Like maybe you'll start off pretty bad. Maybe you'll be nervous. Like all those things will happen. But saying yes to, you know, all those opportunities around you, I think. So these are the two biggest um, recommendations I have for international students and and the third one like i think it's kind of unsaid but you know we've already mentioned it a bunch of times which is like you know don't give up like it's it's a very cliche statement like uh, everyone sees it as a very repeated thing like uh, like you just hear it and you don't know what it is but it basically just means that if you fail it's okay don't worry start over start again that's literally what it means like don't take no for an answer because i had a lot of naysayers in my life who just say no oh, this cannot happen a lot of negative people some people tell you the world is going to end in like 10 years some people are going to say this is going to happen 
So you hear a lot of naysayers, but always remember, never listen to the naysayers. I mean, listen to the people who tell you the pros and cons, listen to them. But a, a person who says, no, that's not worth listening to. Always listen to someone who weighs the pros and cons because everything in life you do has pros and cons. So weigh out the pros and cons, listen to that person who's talking about the pros and cons, but never listen to, the, to, to the, that person who just says no. So that means not giving up and um, never taking no for an answer and never, and never accepting failure. Like never, if you just accept failure, then that's it, you know, then you can't move forward. I think that's a great, I think that's a great summary of, of the challenges that you faced and the skills that you realized are, are essential, not just for success, maybe I would argue as an international student, but as a student, not even as a student, but in life in general. Right, that's three things, and that's all you need to know. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Look, if you're not getting out of a comfort zone, then you're not doing it right. And, and then piggybacking off of that, what that means is say yes. Right? Yep. Become adept at the art of saying yes, because too many people, just as many people that have trouble saying no, have trouble saying yes. Right. And then the, the last thing, and I think that's a great point, don't give up and don't listen to the naysayers. And, and what I've learned across, you know, over time about the naysayers is that there's, how do you differentiate between a, a naysayer or a pessimist and someone who's sincere, right? Someone who has legitimate arguments. It's called believability-weighted decision-making. What that means is that you just look at two qualities and that's it. Sincerity, is this person sincere? My mom and my dad are sincere, are sincere. Is this person competent? My, I love my dad, he's a doctor, but he's not an actor. So he may not have the competency to be able to guide me on acting, but he can guide me on medicine. So you have to look at both, right? And that's how you decide, okay, this guy I wanna to listen to, this guy I don't. I think that's a great summary of the qualities that you need to be able to succeed. All that's a very as an good point student. you made on the competency. Because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of international students I know go to the wrong people for advice. You want to be going to the advice to a person who knows what he's talking about. Uh, and I'm sorry, the background is But they have to be sincere. And they have to be and they have to be sincere too. So either of those two you mentioned. I think that's very important. You gotta be going to the right person for advice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And now now as you move on. Ali, I'm gonna move, let's move on to the last section. I think there's a lot of stuff to be talked about here, about here. I can keep talking about this for hours, hours and hours on end, especially with an insightful person like you. But I think we should move on to the last section. And then before you leave, I know that you have to go soon. Um, let's talk about the capital markets. You have your background in economics, in finance, and in math. My God, that's awesome. So, uh, where are you putting your money these, these days and where do you see the stock market going? Okay, so this will come back to the point we we're making, asking the right person. Um, I'll be very honest with you. Like, I just started investing after college because that's when I felt like I have that kind of money where I can save and, you know, invest that money in. So where I'm putting my money is I'm looking at a lot of Morningstar research. This is by no means me advertising the company, but this is just being, being honest about what I'm doing right now. Because I'm looking at undervalued stocks because I'm in for the long run. I'm not looking at a meme stock, which I'll you know make 300% in one day and then lose 600% the other day. Because a lot of the first rule about investing is a having a goal, 
you know, what are you investing for? Because you need a goal for investing. And a lot of people, it's making money, but that's not enough. Like when, like how much money do you want to make? Like, do you want to make money now? Do you want to make money for the future? Like, you know, having a goal. And the second thing about investing is knowing when to enter and when to exit. Now, the second part is the hardest. (laughs) All of the experts, nobody can guarantee when can you enter and can you exit. So to counter that or to, you know, take that into consideration, what I do is I go for margin of safety. Now, what does margin of safety mean? It means that a stock can be really overpriced, like Netflix, you know, is right now overpriced based on Morningstar research. So I don't have a margin of safety there. But if I invest in, let's say, the Chinese stocks, which are under strict regulation these days, and the Chinese government is... Uh, every day they're taking steps to regulate stocks and the financial um, markets, they are undervalued. So that gives you margin of safety, which means that they're trading below their fair value. And that brings me to my third point. It's never about uh, the price of a stock and the fair value and the difference between them, but it's about how long that difference stays. Now, there are many stocks out there who have been trading at their current price, which is really different from their fair value. And it's been that way for years. So even if you're investing in a stock, which you think is undervalued, but the market doesn't think so, it doesn't really matter what you think. Catalyst. Exactly. But to counter that, I always say that in the long run, there's a tendency that the stocks will revert to their fair value because the fundamentals never change. I mean, with GameStop and all this, you saw that, you know, even though there was a big rise, but then there was also a dip. Why was there a dip? Because then people started looking at the fundamentals of the company. So as a young investor, as a person who just started investing, my biggest advice would be to look at the margin of safety. Like, yes, you can take risks in crypto and all these things, meme stocks, um, but does it really align with your goal? Because in a few years, like you would want some sort of money uh, which you can you know fall back on like money saved because I've heard a lot of financial experts I'm not by no means an expert but I have a lot of financial experts say that investing is basically the money you have saved and you're putting that into the stock market you're getting a higher return than a savings account correct that's an approach a lot of people take so if you have that approach then you want to be looking for a margin of safety so that would be my advice and as far as the capital markets in the U.S. are concerned, they, they are overvalued right now. You know, the P.E. ratios are an all-time high. They were high before the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, there was a big dip. And then, you know, the Fed stepped in and they gave record support, which is also going to they're gonna be um, dialing that back in the months to come. So that's one thing to consider. You know, the Fed is, uh, this won't go on forever. The, the support they're given to the, the capital markets and the finance markets in general. So you got to bring in all these factors and make a decision for the long run. Like you don't want to be um, given away into these you know, meme stocks because trust me, like you make a lot of money, but then you lose a lot of money, and then you won't know when to enter and exit. So these are some frameworks you can use to invest, which I use, and you know, which is helpful for the young investor too. I think I, th- I think that's a that's a, that's a great a great outlook on you know your perspective on investing uh, in general as well as the U.S. and Chinese apparently stock markets. 
I'm going to follow up with just two questions on that. And then, you know, I'm going to ask you a finish and call it a day because we're short on time. China. I've been, I've been tracking China for a while as well. I have a few personal investments and companies in the country. The issue that I've had with upping my stake or investing in, you know, more companies is exactly what you mentioned, regulation. The issue is we don't know how far the regulation is going to go, what steps it's going to take in the future. So what's been happening is that the stocks have been on a consistent downtrend uh, for that reason, because it's not even fundamentally linked, it's more political. So how do you, you, you say that they're undervalued. Now they may be fundamentally undervalued, but if it's political, how do we know, or why do we think that the company's gonna grow or the stock's gonna bounce back? There has to be a catalyst. So what's your reasoning been behind that, that the stocks are gonna bounce back? So China is a very different market than the US. It's not like, you know, the SEC just going around telling companies what to do and then the company's taking, you know, there a lawsuit here, a lawsuit there, you know, market fluctuation. In China, it's when they say something, they mean it and it's done. It's, you know, the government gets it done. It's, you know, there's no question about it. So when they're looking after the, you know, when they're coming after the big companies like Alibaba, Tencent, all of these companies, um, they really mean it. And, you know, it's something which you have to consider, as you said. But I still feel that these companies themselves are very strong companies who, who have, and they're huge companies, you know, they have a lot of, you know, um, what's the word? I just blanked out there. But yeah, this is edit this part. So, so I'm gonna, do you want me to start over from that or what? No, we can just continue. They have, uh, they're huge companies. They have a lot of, yeah, that's where I'm blanking. <laughs> they have a lot of uh, power. What I was trying to say was that they have a lot of, you know, like strong fundamentals, like their revenue. Uh-huh. So I'll, just start, I'll just start with there. So these companies are huge companies with like, you know, large revenues and they impact a lot of people. And these companies are not like, you know, uh, any small uh, mid-sized large cap companies who have a lot of growth potential and they have a huge market share too. So I think discounting them is a bad move, but I feel like it's a, it's a very interesting question. There's no right answer to it, um, but I feel like, again, risk reward, like there is a certain risk to it, but then there's also reward because they're undervalued. So you want it, I mean, it's worth taking a risk in them, but you also want to offset that by, um, you know, like that's how investing basically works. Like if you're taking a risky position, you want to offset that by maybe investing in, I don't know, Schwab, large cap ETF in the US, you know, which is, been pretty stable portfolio management the overall risk of a portfolio goes down right. or stays consistent so you can invest in an etf or the snp but because that brings down your standard deviation you can exactly. offset that by taking a riskier bet with china I, I think that's a great point i was going to talk about risky investing but you you mentioned that as well about how you can offset risks by 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 you know choosing between different kinds of investments or varying the proportions of those investments, the overall portfolio remains the same. Yeah. Um, Ali, I'm gonna ask you a finisher question and then we're gonna call it today. You're Aladdin, you know, from the, the story or the, the movie, right? Yeah, you're Aladdin and uh, Jafar has sent you to that cave or den in the desert and uh, you find that golden lamp 
right? In return, you're gonna marry Jasmine or whatever you have, you know, whatever you have it. You find that lamp and you rub the lamp and the genie comes out. But now here's the difference. Instead of the three wishes that the genie grants in terms of whatever you can have or whatever you want, that's not what's happening here. The genie is a do-gooder. And what that means is that he's gonna give you one wish, but this isn't for you, this is for humanity in general. So the idea is I'm gonna grant you one wish, that wish has to be a problem that you want to solve for everyone, not for you. So here's the question. As Aladdin in the desert with the lamb for your girlfriend, what's the one biggest problem that you see humanity faces that you want to solve? The fundamental problem that you think if solved would change the world as we know it for the better? That's a good question. And my answer would be tolerating others. I think that's a big one because that means you have empathy for people who are not like you. As people, you know, as you know, we go on in our lives, we tend to think about ourselves and then our culture, our surroundings, our society. And we never think about, you know, this other person, this different culture, like, you know, what are they going through? We never put ourselves in anybody's shoes. So I think being tolerant and empathetic, I mean, I think em em empathy is a better word and more politically correct, but um, so having empathy for others around you, knowing that the situation you're in, maybe they're not, you know, and what you can do to, you know, and once you have empathy, then you think about what you can do to make their situation good, you know, or better. So I think for humanity, I think that's the biggest problem we need to solve because I feel like a lot of the times we think about our problems. I think they are the biggest issues or you know, stuff we have to solve, but we have to have a big, wider angle to it and look at you know, other people's problems and try to understand them. And you, you have to be more understanding enough of each other. And like, we have to know where someone's coming from because what's happening in today's world is that you agree with me or I block you. Like, this, is, this, is not, this is not human. I mean, I, I, there's nothing human about it. Human is like, what makes us human is that the fact we can interact, you know, we can have good conversations, we can meet new people, we can meet people with different ideas. And we forget that you know, there's people who have this opinion, like what have they went through? Like, who are they? And that's not, yeah, sorry. It's not conducive to a progressive conversation. It's not, you know, we're, because we're going in our own tribes. Like we're going back to the prehistoric ages where we were in our own tribes and that's where we want to be. But so I'm a big supporter of globalization. You know, globalization does not mean leaving your roots. It means exposing yourself to other cultures and showing your culture to other people. So if you're not true to your roots, how can you show your culture to other people? You see what I mean? Like how can, if you're true to yourself, that's the only way you can show other people and then they can be, you know, know you on a better level. So this current, you know, I see it on social media all the time and social media has made it, worse you know everyone just wants to look at the post everyone just wants to look at the content you know which agrees with them Con confirmation bias that's what's going on right now and then they only read the believe the news they want to believe and that comes from a place where i think there's a lack of empathy you know you know cannot tolerate the other opinion so my biggest wish for humanity is that we've got to be more understanding of each other like give any give some give them space like if they're a supporter of you know someone you don't like if they if they are making some wrong choices, bad decisions, sit with them, talk to them. 
don't block them. Don't, you know, um, I don't use that word, but just don't like shut them off, you know. Be inclusive. Talk to everyone. Make everyone feel heard and give them the respect they need. They, they deserve actually. And that's why I asked the finisher question, Ali, to get, to explore the inner workings of the mind, to be able to find a way to sum up what they stand for. And I think empathy and open-mindedness is what you stand for, to go into the unknown, to get to what is true, because we can't do it alone. It doesn't matter what you want. You can't. You need people around you. And by having an open mind, by tolerating others, by, by having empathy, you can connect with other human beings, with other people, and you can use that to progress, not just individually, but perhaps as a, as a community. Yep, yep. And I think that's a, that's a great problem to solve and one that does need to be solved. And I think you're going to be the person to do it. Um, I'm the person to do it, but just on a finishing note, just a one-liner, you know, this is like, now we're over time, but still, you know, it's just worth saying that, you know, happiness is surrounding yourself with good people, you know, people you connect with and being around other people. Like that is what, you know, happiness is, um, you know, and this is not my opinion, but I recently saw a TED talk and you know, there was, it's research, it's backed by research that that's where happiness comes from. And if we make ourselves limited to our tribes, we can never expose ourselves to those wonderful people on the other side who just disagree with us maybe on a few things, but are what maybe wonderful people who can add value to your life, who can be a source of happiness. So if you want to, if you want to get to, you know, that level of happiness, you have to get out of your tribe and like, connect with you know those people who might come into your life and make a difference happiness is surrounding yourselves with other people i'm gonna put that in my in my you know bookmark ali i really appreciate your time guys you were listening to muhammad ali exclusively on the ajk health fitness and business podcast the second greatest ali after me and then, you know, we can add Muhammad Ali, the boxer. And that third. Um, thank you for listening, guys. If you have any questions, please let me know. I'm going to have timestamps, description of Ali, what we talked about, as well as how you can reach out to me in the description box below. You can listen to this podcast wherever you want, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, etc., etc. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And next up, we're going to have an MMA fighter with us on the podcast, one who's trying to make it to the UFC, and the challenges that you face as a fighter. Thank you, Ali. I really appreciate it. The boxer of the finance world. This was AJK Health Fitness, Health Fitness and Business with your host, Ali Khan, signing out. <laughs>